Welcome back to Butter With That, uh, a movie podcast where a bunch of friends from Philly talk about some movies. Uh, I'm here with Sam, Connor, and Dave. Um, Troy's not here with us uh, in person, but in spirit she is. And um, we have been, for the past couple weeks, talking about some movies on our uh, top 20, personal top 20s. So, um this episode will be a continuation of a movie that was in one of my top 20s when we did that top 100 movies of all time or something, whatever that category <laughs> was. And before we dive into today's movie, just want to see how everyone's doing, have people watch some great content, some not great content. What's been in our content worlds these days? So now that Criminal Minds is over for Alyssa and I, uh, and I miss you guys last, sorry, I couldn't be on last week's episode, um, but we finished Criminal Minds and now we have moved on to Forged in Fire as our new kind of <clears throat> show we're watching. It is on the History Channel and it is a blacksmithing competition show. Nice. That's cool. So it's a great, so there's four contestants in every episode. <clears throat> And there's like different challenges to like eliminate them. And then the final two people go to their home forges to make something big and fancy. And then they bring it back and they do all sorts of stress tests, like cutting into a pig or trying to break coconuts or breaking antlers, throwing knives, you know, things to see how they stick. Um, it's a great show. One reason why I love it is because you can kind of tune out for like 10 or 15 minutes and then like kind of check back in when they're doing the like stress tests. And it's been really interesting to just learn how, you know, smithies work. How swords are smith. inspired you to become a smithy? It looks pretty fun. <laughs> like if I ever had like a farm and like a big barn, although that equipment is expensive. Um, that is definitely an expensive hobby. Um, Connor, similarly, I've been watching a lot of How It's Made. Um, and I watched one about bubble gum. And let me tell you what, fear. I now have fear of all the gum I have swallowed throughout my whole life. I've swallowed gum as an adult. Let me tell you what, there's a lot of plastic in my body. Um, <laughs> so just, you know, think about that the next time you have some gum. But other than how it's made, I've been watching WandaVision and I did not have really high expectations for the show. I wasn't all of that all that interested in these characters when they were in the movies, but the show has been phenomenal. Um, we have four episodes so far. They're coming out on Fridays and each episode is just better and better. And oh gosh, Wanda is just becoming one of the coolest characters, I think. And, you know, everybody has their theory of what's coming, who's coming in, what they're going to finally do. And now that um, the the Marvel Cinematic Universe has the rights to mutants. I'm like so ready for what they've got planned. I'm very intrigued. It's like genre, like each episode is like a different type of like daytime TV genre. Kind like of a, like a sitcom. Yeah. From sitcom, like the, yeah. Um, 50s, 60s and 70s. Up next is I think is the 80s. I would I would love to do once it's all out like a spinoff breakdown episode talking about the whole because there's I think just eight episodes so we're like it's weird to think that it's halfway through because I also think WandaVision's been really cool I love that Marvel's now just going to do a ton of weird shit like keep it weird like you can have your still like Falcon and Winter Soldier will probably be pretty standard superhero kind of stuff but on you know TV kind of time span 
but I love all the weird things like WandaVision. Like, so I've been really enjoying it. I'm really hoping that Falcon and the Winter Soldier is going to be more like Captain America, the Winter Soldier, where it's like more mm-hmm. of a spy thriller. Um, please God be more like that, but we'll see. But I think what I, I'm loving with the TV shows is it seems like they're having an opportunity to be more comic booky. And it's like, yes, this is what I want. It's interesting. I've heard a lot of people saying that that's uh, that the show is boring, but it's it tends to be a lot of people whose opinions I don't really trust very much. <laughs> so I'm kind of like inclined to think like, okay, they're probably just watching this wrong. It sounds like an interesting concept. So I've kind of thought about checking it out. And I think we've just been spoiled with binging mm-hmm. of like this. Is, and like, I feel like, and I get caught in this too, of like forgetting how to like watch a show episode to episode. Um, and so this one is like, you want to get to the mystery. Um, but it's like, it just, it slowly teases it out. And I don't know if it does it perfectly, um, but it does it super interestingly. And I, you know, I've probably watched every episode like Friday morning, like right when I get up. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting when you go back and you rewatch episodes and you're like, oh, they put that in there and they did this with that. And oh man, I think that person's this character in the comic. So I I mean, I, I can understand the criticism of it being boring if you're just like so used to the movies being action, action, action. But like, this is how mm-hmm. a TV show is, you know, like you have to build to the real climax and resolution. So um, if you go in with that expectation, I think you're not going to be let down. And Catherine Hahn is always a delight. Oh my God, I know. <laughs> you can turn anything into a gem. Like how to lose a guy in 10 days, you know, take it or leave it kind of movie. Most people want to leave it, but Catherine Hahn just turns it around, you know? How about you, Dave, watching anything good or bad? So I finished The Sopranos earlier this past week, and now I'm finding myself just like totally rudderless and just like at a loss for what to do with myself. Cause, uh, rewatching it this time, you know, third time through the series and, um, it really blew me away more than it ever has. And I always really liked it. So I'm feeling a little, uh, forlorn and just like trying to figure out how to fill the void of the Sopranos having just finished it um, with other media. But fortunately, uh, a little podcast that I can plug, there is a podcast called Talking Sopranos, which is Michael Imperioli and Steve Sharippa, who are uh, Christopher Maltesanti and Bobby Baclieri from the show, uh, respectively, breaking down each episode and providing like background insight. So um, yeah, missing the show, but I'm still very much in the in the weeds of it with the podcast. So I'd recommend that if you're a fan. Nice, nice. Um, yeah, I feeling along the same lines of feeling rudder, rudderless. The final episode of The Expanse happened last night. Oh, I so even for people not big fans of sci-fi in general or have no or or watched the first season of the expanse and we're like this show is stupid i highly encourage people to give it a second chance because this show has had such an incredible developmental arc and this final season showcased one of my favorite characters and really gave her some amazing writing and action and dominic tipper's performance is phenomenal and the character of Naomi is so amazing. And I highly recommend anyone listening to go and watch The Expanse and get through the first season because it'll be rough, but then it'll be worth it. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, now I'm feeling feeling rudder, rudderless, but, uh, but excited 
to talk to you all about this week's movie, uh, which is the 2006 movie uh, Volver by Pedro Almodovar. Almodovar is known as a really big director in Spain, um, has directed movies that folks might have heard of, Bad Education, or all about my mother, woman on the verge of a nervous breakdown. These are some of his uh, more well-known ones. In fact, Volver is is uh, was nominated. Uh, Penelope Cruz, who stars in it, was nominated uh, for an uh, Academy Award for her performance as Raymunda. And um, I have enjoyed a lot of his movies and. Some are kind of misses, but like really fun, campy misses. And then some movies, I happen to really love this movie, Volver, um, I think are wonderful windows into his artistic sensibility, into his vibrancy as a director, and uh, into the performances that he can showcase uh, in his movies. And so I thought this might be a fun one to talk about um, in sort of a window into his work. Uh, just before we dive into kind of our thoughts and responses to the movie, just a quick synopsis um, is movies essentially kind of like a comedy drama um, set outside of Madrid, uh, set in the present day. It follows this woman, Raimunda, played by Penelope Cruz, it follows her sister uh, and her daughter and her best friend as they basically kind of weather a series of family crises that unfold over the course of the movie. Um, the main action kind of unfolds when Raymunda's daughter kills her uh, abusive father in self-defense and Raymunda, the mother, has to get rid of the body. Uh, and all the while, uh, Raymunda's sister, Sole, has been receiving visits from the supposed ghost of her late mother, who it actually turns out is really alive and ha has been in hiding for almost 15 years. <laughs> And in addition to all those wild things that are happening within the family, other family secrets and really uh, complicated and hidden traumas really come to light over the course of the movie. Um, and you watch as these women wrestle with these really painful discoveries and try to basically heal together. Um, uh, and, I didn't realize this until researching for this episode that the plot was actually created as a fictional screenplay in one of Almodovar's earlier movies in the mid nineties, um, which I think is a wonderful detail that kind of highlights the fact that this, I sort of defined as a comedy drama, but it really has this great distinct blend of campy comedy, melodrama uh, and sort of, magical realism less like a less so like a gritty family drama and more of sort of this like interesting blend of 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 certainly drama but comedy and camp um and i can just see this being kind of this story i haven't seen the movie that apparently this was first referenced in but in an interview almodovar was like yeah i was talking with this woman about this folk tale uh i think that like uh, a Puerto Rican folktale. And she sort of told me this story and I developed this as a screenplay in this other movie. And then it turned into this uh, whole screenplay for, for Volver. So that's a little bit uh, about the synopsis and, and where the origins of the story came. Um, I will, I'll open it up to the 
the crew, the butter crew, um, for some immediate reactions. Had anyone seen this movie before? Connor. Yes, you remember. Yeah, you told me you'd seen it. Where, in what context had you seen this movie before? When you mentioned this movie during our top 100 movie episode, I was like, sounds really familiar. Volver, Penelope Cruz. And then I went to look it up. uh, And then the poster like triggered this old memory of high school that I actually watched this in sophomore year Spanish class. Um, And Alyssa did too, actually, which was kind of funny coincidence. Um, so, and then as I was rewatching the movie for this episode, a lot of it was coming back to me. Um, and I think I really enjoyed it a lot more this time as a now 27 years old, um, as opposed to being a sophomore, um, in high school, I think it went, especially as you're watching it in like segmented chunks and like, you know, 30 ish minute chunks throughout a week. Um, it was nice to sit down and actually watch the whole thing through this time, you know, so many years later. That's really funny you mentioned that you watched it in class because when I w- like was just Googling the movie, they're like uh, Sparknote websites that pop up. I'm like, I guess this is on curriculums or something. In that same class, we also watched uh, like Chocolate for Water and Pan's Labyrinth. Oh, I watched Water for Chocolate on yeah. in Spanish class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. My first year of Spanish class, uh, just a... A side note, as far as movies go, I had a teacher who uh, was teaching Spanish, well, wasn't teaching Spanish one. Uh, they would just basically have us come into the class, and it was more or less a study hall where the movie Selena was just on literally every day for a whole semester. <laughs> so then when we graduated to Spanish two, and none of us had any foundation in the language, uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of fuss was kicked up about it. <laughs> uh, maybe you could sing a lot of selena songs there's some classics there are some classics that's a good movie too um i do love that movie had never seen uh volver before um it's it's an interesting film i mean it's it, i like a lot of elements of it but it's still kind of something about it maybe it's length or maybe it's variation in tones which i do think works generally uh had me feeling like a little bit not frustrated just uh maybe impatient in the midst of the film maybe like halfway through um i did make the mistake then of uh going ahead and like looking up a synopsis midway through the movie just to get like some sense of how to navigate it um which is a stupid thing to do because ultimately a lot of the backing plot lines and uh how how it's kind of like intertwined in terms of like tone and and everything else is sort of revealed uh, right toward the end of the movie. Um, so I think once it was over, I really appreciated it a lot more. Um, but I found myself having a, a hard time reconciling the sort of like comical magical realism and the family melodrama at the same time to a degree for a while. Although I think ultimately it, it makes sense and pans out. Yeah, I think you bring up some important points that I would love to return to in a moment. One being the fact that a lot of the (laughs) unfolding family dramas can get very hard to keep track of. Um, And that like, yeah, I mean, having seen this movie several times, like there are still moments where I'm like, wait a second. So when, who knows what's going on, what characters know what's going on and what characters don't. I think the second thing that I would love to return back to, or um, if folks have thoughts about is how the, blending of tones handles particular uh, 
situations dealing with and content warning, sexual assault, uh, like sexual trauma, violence, like very, very intense subject matter. And like, how do we kind of like watch these characters navigate these very intense situations with sometimes scenes that are supposed to be kind of funny, but yeah, so we, we can, we can go back uh, into that. Uh, Sam, I wanted to get your uh, initial thoughts as well. (laughs) Yeah. So um, I think my point actually will roll over Christine into what you want to talk about nicely. So I, I don't dislike the movie, but I also don't like it. I enjoyed the experience watching it. I watched it with a roommate and we were both like, what's happening? And, um, you know, when you have ADD, like I do, sometimes it's very difficult to focus on multiple things like um, reading the subtitles, watching um, what's happening and being able to link those together particularly in this movie when things really don't make sense I spent a lot of time like not zoning out but just like getting caught up and then being like oh shit I don't understand what I just missed and then I spend like 10 minutes trying to figure it out all to say it actually didn't really matter (laughs) like we don't know what's going on and it just sort of made me think that I was like really really just out of it um but I think one of the biggest reasons why I I can't say that I like this movie is how it leaves you. And so I do think that it is a very like dark comedy and I enjoyed that part a lot. Um the scenes when they're moving um <laughs> the the body at any time they're moving the body I thought it was just absolutely hysterical and everything that went with it. Um but the movie is two hours long and in the last 15 minutes you are hit with something that is horrific you know you hear that Penelope Cruz's character was sexually assaulted by her father that led to pregnancy so her daughter is not only her daughter but also her sister and then the movie basically ends For someone who, I mean I I am not a victim of sexual assault but I can see somebody who is feeling like they got slapped in the face and then there's like no resolution whatsoever um and you know you can make the argument as to you know that that felt like a gut punch and that's how it is in real life too but and 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 I can I can understand that point definitely but I also think that like as a director and as a writer um you can't really do that to your audience um that's just not fair especially when it's in the last like 15 minutes. What the fuck, man? Um, But yeah, uh, I was disappointed in that. Confused throughout, but I don't mind that so much. Yeah, you bring up really, really important points, Sam. Um, Right, especially how this, this reveal, you're right, it ends without a sense of real resolution that a like a, a a topic like that and a reveal like that one would hope as a viewer the movie would really handle in a non-quick and dismissive close I think that and I and I really was thinking a lot about this in a rewatch the rewatch I did for this episode um and I think I think for me, having seen others of his movies where he 
he incorporates a lot of intense subject matter in a lot of his characters. I've sort of come to expect that there's always going to be something that is like, like having to do with trauma or, or like in relationships or things like that. I mean, um, that, that sort of, a lot of his subject matter has that in it. Um, and he plays with like comedy and sort of the melodrama that comes from it. But yeah, I think, I guess I would open it up like, or I guess I, I'm glad you brought up, Sam, the scenes where you see Raimunda trying to get rid of the body, which when I'm thinking about the ending and the, um, yeah, the trauma that's revealed, I also then go back to some of the scenes where I think are some of the best scenes where she, so the daughter has stabbed the father He's bleeding on the ground and she, Raimunda um, has the keys to a restaurant that is abandoned next door. And the owner is like, okay, Raimunda, can you just have these keys until someone buys it? She realizes that this huge meat packing or this huge meat refrigerator could be the perfect place to store the father's body because she has to get rid of it. She wants to protect her daughter. She's got a fierce sense of responsibility and, and wanting to handle this such situation. There is one of my favorite scenes is the long scene when she's trying to shove this body into the fridge and Almodovar really lingers there. And like, you can really see Cruz struggling with this body and you can see the weight of it. And so I, I also see those scenes as sort of maybe visual ways of showing that this is, serious and that this this is her dealing with the weight of that so yeah it seems like those and scenes when the friend is uh and she and her friend are trying to bury the body i'll throw it out to the crew what do you what do you all how are you all reconciling sort of these different these competing tones uh, especially with the uh subject matter that's presented in the movie one thing that i think kind of makes the tones the competing tones of the film work for me in, in the end is the ending um, because sort of, you know, in a sense, it's, it's, it's a very comical movie where people are dealing with like familial trauma and um, traditions surrounding like death and things. Um, and, and generally pretty like comical and like upbeat um, kind of saccharine way. Um, and with like what appears to be a lot of magical realism until that sense of magic is kind of, unraveled in the end when you realize that you know Irene, irene or irene yeah irene yeah irene is uh is in fact not a ghost but is a living person which is a really interesting kind of turn on that that storyline but i think it's also really interesting that everybody else is kind of like portrayed as you know very human but there there's like a kind of a, a comic almost like christine like you alluded to like a sense of camp to everything um except these kind of more powerful moments with penelope cruz and her daughter paula who are kind of navigating this world tonally in a different way. And I think that that reveal in the end that she is not only a, a survivor of assault, but is in a sense, you know, a true survivor, someone that uh, has experienced trauma and has informed uh, her perspective and uh, the way that she is framed as far as tone, uh, I, th I think ultimately culminates in a really interesting reveal in the end as, as that information explains how her character is tonally at odds with some of the rest of the film. I think kind of bouncing off of that, a great example of the two different types of tone or how 
um, Penelope Cruz and then uh, the actress who plays her sister Sole deal with the mother being there. Lola uh, Duenas. Lola She's, Duenas, yeah. I think I really love Sole. Watching it a second time, she was like maybe my favorite part of the movie um, because I think her and like this whole... it Volver feels like it'd be so interesting to see if like HBO or you know Netflix developed it into like an eight-episode series because I feel like there is a lot of like mythos with this family and things you could stretch out and it would be like those scenes between uh, Sole and her mother kind of feel like some of the campiest stuff of like, oh, she's a Russian coming in. Like they know mm-hmm. I'm an orphan. So you have to pretend to be this, you know, like some light slapstick ideas kind of coming in there. Hiding under the bed and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Hiding Not under the like bed. Like mom, she's farting. Like that was very. Funny. Oh my God. Yeah. And so I think that's some, I think for me, when I was thinking about the tonal differences, it's like, that's how different people think about their childhood. Mm-hmm. Sole remembers it as like this very loving mother, caring mother. There's a reason why the mom goes to Sole, and you know, and Sole is the one who goes, you know, to Aunt Paula's funeral, which is one of the things that kind of you know kicks off the plot of the movie. This older uh, relative that dies, and so I think it was a really great representation of like how different people remember childhood and how that informs how they act as adults. I think that's a great point as well, Connor, because. Almodovar wrote the movie. He said it in the region of La Mancha where he grew up. Um, and he, he said in, in interviews that it, many of the movie's elements were inspired, inspired by his childhood growing up um, among women that inspired the characters of this story. And is a comment on Franco-era Spain um, and the intergenerational relationships among women um, and in fascist era Spain, unearthing familiar familial and generational trauma and kind of like how that unfolds and how different characters uh, deal with that information and, and try to go through this process of healing. And like some of the scenes of the women gathering uh, during the funeral with the fans, they're all just sitting in a circle mm. Um those are inspired by, yeah, his childhood memories of, of, of rituals of death and mourning. I love the opening scene of the windy day as women are washing and dusting off of uh, dusting the tombstones. Um, and, and, you know, part of me, I get really excited to talk about this movie, but I think it's because the part of me who loved like in like English class, like let's look at symbolism. Let, you know, I'm like <laughs> the wind, the wind is all about reveal, like sort of like passing spirits and generational knowledge. And it's the pervasive wind through the movie. It's like, okay, I'm not going to like fucking do all that bullshit, but like, that's interesting. The movie, <laughs> but, but I think that the movie gives like me as a watcher, such wonderful little tidbits, um, and uh, that I think make the movie so so vibrant. But I just, I, the, the opening, I think, is such a beautiful scene of, of women going through that ritual of, of cleaning tombstones of, of, of the dead. Um, and also cleaning their own tombstones uh, in some cases. Yes! Like, yes! Because it's, uh, what, what is the note here? It's, it's kind of a tradition of tending one's grave almost as though it were, quote, a second home. And I think it's Augustina who um, mm-hmm. is the friend who talks about her own, her own tombstone. And we find out later that she's uh, diagnosed with cancer. And so you also see not only people in mourning, but but um, 
this idea of, of confronting death and understanding one's own mortality. And Augustina's character is so fascinating because she's also, so she's not part of the family, but she also lost her mother and is trying to figure out what happened to her mother. And we're not, we won't go through all of the twisty, windy, weird <laughs> plot twists, but essentially Ramunda's mother, who's the ghost who's revealed to be real, found out about an affair that, she, that her husband, Ramunda's father, was having with Augustina's mother, and they were sleeping together, and Irene burned down the house where they were having the affair. And so it turns out that Augustina's mother has also been killed. Um, and so she's dealing with a lot as well. Um, but, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, Dave, of, of what, like cleaning one's own um, mm-hmm. part of the, part of the cemetery and part of the uh, collection of tombstones. I also think it offers up a really nice bookend. So you have, you sort of have the the serious moments at the beginning and, and at the end. And so, you know, it opens up with cleaning the tombstones and, and, and the wind. And you have that really like horrific moment with Paco and Paula. And then it ends when you learn that like, oh, this is history repeating itself. But then they go to that river place and you could tell it just feels like, uh, washing away of a lot of everything that they were holding in this whole movie, not just um, for Munda, but also for Paula too. Yeah. Um, what do you think of the character of, of Paula? Do you like, I was trying to look at if we were looking at this as sort of like generational transformation, I was trying to like kind of suss out the relationship Paula has with, with her mother, with Ramunda. What do we, what do we think about, kind of Paula navigating all of these situations. I think maybe my biggest criticism of Volver is that Paula feels like a plot device. Mm. Like she does not feel like she has a terrible amount of agency in the movie. And I would be, if either this is like more of a long form storytelling, like a show kind of format, or if it'd be interesting also if she was the main character. But I think because Raymond is the main character and her sister is a very well fleshed out character. The mom gets like, there's a lot of moving pieces that it feels like the daughter kind of just falls by the wayside a little. Um, she definitely has her moments, but it just, I feel like there could have been a little more work to sort of like, how does she feel about these? Or, you know, she, she kills who she thinks is her father. And it feels like that trauma only crops up in bits and pieces with Raimunda saying, just forget about it. And then she kind of does forget about it. Um, I don't know. For for me, that just kind of felt like a little more work maybe could have been done to sort of like suss out or give her a little more time. Not that this movie needs to be any longer, but I just felt like there was a little bit missing for me with Paula and kind of her agency within the film. I think I, I agree in a sense, although I think there is a function to her largely kind of being uh, in the dark as far as like the you know the backstory and the family history of the film because so much of it is based around her naivete of her her actual familial origin um and Paco not actually being her father and so on um although yeah at the same time you know you can express that as as a core component of the character while still giving them maybe more to do so yeah mixed bag I guess 
I see how it's functional, but it, it would be nice if there was more for her to do. I also think it's difficult because we don't get to see them in their n- natural habitat. Basically, the only time we get things normal is before Paco's death. Everything following that is just dealing with basically one death after another um, and then a spontaneous rebirth or return, I guess, to mm-hmm. the title. Um, <laughs> So, like, I I don't know because we just never see that. And I think the closest we get to it is when Ramunda is, is making the meals for the movie crew. But even that feels so sh- different because that's, you know, that's like an incredible thing that just popped out of nowhere and everything's like unsure about the situation because it's not her restaurant. And, um, you know, she's basically like... Um, grabbing everybody she knows to help her in some way to do this. So, yeah, I don't know, Christine. Yeah, I um, I was sort of wondering, yeah, a, a little bit more about about Paula. Um, and as far as being give like giving her more to do, I kind of really liked Johanna Co- Cabo's performance, who plays Paula, because I feel like teenagers deal with trauma in wild, vastly different ways. So it's it's hard to say, well, she would have reacted this way or she would have reacted this way. And I think that the, the actress that plays her gives a pretty nuanced performance for what she's given to, to do. And I think it's really meaningful that aside from, after Soleil finds out that Irene, the mother, is, is actually alive and not a ghost, Paula is the the next person to be privy to that information and spends a lot of time with her grandmother and is sort of like taking on that responsibility of of understanding, oh, wait, my grandmother's actually alive and and we're we're hiding her for certain reasons and things like that. So I think as far as being given things to do, she is pulled into sort of like a reckoning that is beyond like is sort of like not a reckoning, but she's pulled into a larger understanding of what what's not only has happened to her, but also is going on in her in her family at large. Um, and I and I and I do appreciate Cabo's per- performance. Um, One thing that I really yeah. this time picked up on was she just gets dragged around the entire movie, and I think that that's kind of like the double edged sword of kind of what I'm feeling of like it's this great feeling of like especially you know as a child of divorce i felt that a lot of like being dragged around between all different family arguments family disagreements uh basically like paula we're leaving like that's pretty much how every scene with paula ends paula follow me or paula we're leaving um Mm -hmm. and i thought for me that her going through those motions and like kind of what she had to do to survive of like i'm too busy run up the steps of the suitcase you know penelope cruz yells at her sister you're gonna take care of her you're gonna watch her and she's just sitting there holding you know the suitcase so i definitely felt like for me that that part of her story really resonated i think i just wished instead of like i'm gonna go to can i go to bed mom at the end of the movie she's like there for some of those conversations i think would have been interesting yeah going back to your point of like less as a plot device and and maybe get like bringing her into the fold even more um well like as i mentioned before a lot of focus was on penelope cruz's performance what did we think of of Penelope as Raymunda. I kind of thought it was interesting of how she gets such a bad rap from 
several of the characters throughout the beginning parts of the movie. When I feel like as an audience, we sort of go on a reverse journey of like learning why people feel such negative emotions around her. Um, so I thought that was like kind of an interesting reversal of sort of how we learn about you know information about our main character. Because in the beginning of the movie, we see she's hardworking. She's cleaning her mother's grave. She's cooking the food. Paco, her husband, just kind of like watches soccer and can't hold the job down. Um, so I feel like I saw her as this sort of like, you know, heroine type, you know, leading character sort of figure. But as the movie goes on, you sort of learn more about her backstory. You see how she treats her sister, uh, treats other kind of people in the community. And it's, it was an interesting journey to sort of unfold a lot of the bitterness and cynicism that exists within her and then figuring out kind of, you know, oh, that's there. And then why is that, you know, why is that there? Yeah, I guess, uh, I mean, it's interesting too, for me in the sense that as I mentioned before, she sort of stands out in terms of, of tone by contrast to a lot of the other performances, um, which is really interesting. It's almost it almost feels to me almost like a reverse Amelie situation where like it's a mad, it's a world of kind of like experiential magical realism. But here is this grounded character who is, um, you know, kind of more more driven and like more pragmatic um, than a lot of the other characters who whose performances are, say, a little bit campier. Um, although that's, you know, revealed to be a result of, uh, kind of lived trauma and, uh, and how that can frame one's, one's perspective and, uh, how they navigate the world. So, uh, at first I was, I was really puzzled because like I said, up until the end reveal, when, uh, when all that context is heaped on and, and it really kind of explains the, the tonal shifts and the, the difference between performances in the movie, um, I was I was struggling to figure out how she fit into all this, but th- then when that's explained, her performance really makes sense as a more grounded performance in an otherwise campier ensemble. I guess if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. It's like we see. Yeah, um, it's like yeah, characters are having to do different things. Um, like the supporting characters, uh, you all brought up uh, Sole Lola Duenas, uh, the sister who uh, I agree with whoever said like she was some of the most one of the most fun to watch like in rewatching this I was like wow that is a great tone like I, I the sister was a lot of fun to watch in her hair salon and definitely like fits the tone of of the sort of comedic vibe um but I I thought Penelope Cruz is so wonderfully like yeah, I think grounded is is definitely like in in the the as Dave you said kind of in the in the gravity and realness of of what's going on and what's happening with her. The scene where she's like, "I'm gonna go sing," and then she just granted it wasn't really her <laughs> singing, but whatever. She lip synced the hell out of that scene, and like <laughs> it's it like I think is so it's such a testament to she's a great face performer. Like, she, like the tears that she brought to scenes, the scene where she's singing and you can really see her like feeling that one moment where she doesn't feel responsible for herself, for other people, for dealing with it. She can just like escape in this beautiful ballad or whatever. And I've never really like followed Penelope Cruz as like a performer I must watch, but I think this, I think her nomination was was really de- like deserved because you could see so many changes just communicated um, in her face. Um, I also really liked the perf- I mean, so the the woman who plays uh, her mother, Irene Carmen uh, Maura, has been in a lot. Is like like 
has been a lot of uh, Almodovar's movies, um, most famously uh, Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. And apparently they had a falling out for a while. And then she's like, okay, I'll like sign in on this movie. Um, but yeah, she's a lot of fun to watch. I, somebody brought up the scene uh, where she's hiding in the trunk. And I love <laughs> like just, just so motherly. Like, well, I grabbed the bags. I had to go grab the bags. I put them in the car and here I am, like deal with me. And I was like... <laughs> I was like, I could think of my own mother coming back to me as a ghost, hiding in a trunk of a car, being like, well, here I am. <laughs> we got to deal with this. And I think that uh, the performance really communicate. I mean, part of me also was like, by the end, being like, does this woman have like contrition? Like, what is going on in her mind? I still couldn't like penetrate mm-hmm. uh, Irene's brain but I, I did enjoy uh Carmen Mara's performance as well um yeah something so interesting about the mother character is so um you know how we come to to learn about everything how it all shakes out is um Irene had killed her husband and um what's her name and uh Augustina? Augustina. Augustina, yes. I just like left my brain. Yeah, so um, many characters. I know. So her husband and Augustina's mother, um, and then she wanders the countryside for a couple days, and then she was going to turn herself in, stopped at uh, what we know as Aunt Paula's house. And uh, because Aunt Paula is suffering from dementia, um, she just treats Irene as if like no time had passed. And she's just like, you know what? Yep. This is the second chance they need and just goes with it. But then she learns about everything that happened to Ramunda, um, like all the sexual abuse and assault, everything that this girl went through and still does not contact her children whatsoever. I find that really interesting and also, you know, how we come to know Raymunda is she's obviously um, a very caring woman, very family-centric with her daughter and her sister. And we see her taking care of her parents' grave. And yet she had not visited Aunt Paula in so long. Um, because when she finally does... They're like, oh, it smells like mom. Or look, all these containers were ready for us. You know, like that could have happened earlier, but it's clear that she hadn't been visiting. So, you know, it's it's just so interesting to me uh, about family and like chosen family and who you focus on. You guys have brought, mentioned it before, but when they are like, she's been farting in here, hasn't she? It smells like mom. And I was like, this feels like, like, a conversation that I would have with my friends and family. <laughs> you know, and the mom's laughing so hard. It's so good. And cry, like laugh crying and being like, this is, yeah, this is the sense of, these are the family jokes. This is the sense of like familial togetherness that I miss. Um, it's like, I can almost hear her. That was, that one really got me. <laughs> yeah. 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 Were there any uh, others? Oh, so one thing that I thought was kind of interesting, the closing scene of the movie or one of the closing scenes is Irene watching the black and white TV. And I think it's the story of Pinocchio, according to, I think, some of the TV subtitles. 
And it's such an interesting one of closing scenes. It's it feels kind of sinister. It's like this, like this father, like talking to his daughter about like the story of Pinocchio and what happens to liars. But it's like this 1950s or 60s black and white TV show. And Irene is kind of smiling, being like, ah, oh, like, oh, this is probably my favorite programming from when I was young or like some sort of smile of recognition. But the the scene really sets up that show as, be, as at least to me feeling kind of sinister. And I, I thought it was kind of an interesting closing um, sort of a show trying to depict idyllic family life. But through over the course of the movie, we recognize really that like within sort of these supposedly together families, things get like uh, revealed that uh, harm and hurt and things get revealed. And maybe that's kind of the closing that acknowledges the kind of unresolved harm that still exists. Like even as the movie closes, um, possibly people are still, possibly Irene will never fully understand the, the hurt and harm that, that happened, you know, when she was still with the family before um, she, she disappeared. Uh, or maybe it's just a movie recognizing that it hasn't resolved or dealt with what's kind of still under the surface of, of a tale of a story. I mean, the fact that this does have a sort of a melodramatic, maybe sort of telenovela twist and turn element to it is like, it's still somewhat of a, uh, of a tale. Um, and I think that's also shown in the talk show scene. So Augustina's sister is like a talk show host or something. And she goes on the, this talk show to try to figure out what happened to her mother. Um, and it's kind of a, supposed to be set up as a funny scene where she's in front of this live audience and they're all laughing at her. Um, and she, and the host is like, so what do you want to talk about? And Augustine is trying to figure out what happened to her mother. But it's sort of like making this sort of comedic spectacle of real abuse and family tension. Uh, and I was wondering if that scene was sort of also revealing that like even this movie that has shifting tones of comedy of drama still can't ever handle fully the the subject matter that it's that it's presenting um through you know its depiction of like talk shows that get their material from like making a spectacle of of like family drama and stuff like that so I was just thinking about that scene with Augustina I'm glad you brought up that it kind of ends on a sinister note because while, and you brought up the, you know, the idea of contrition, she's still lying to Augustina of like, and she tells um, Raymunda, I killed her mother. So the least I can do is like be her for her, but she's still like Augustina assumes that she's like a fucking ghost. And it's like, instead of like actually owning up to like these really kind of like horrible things that she, you know, this horrible, you know, double murder that she committed. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, it's you know sammy brought up it's she's a really interesting character of like i don't really like her but i like parts of her but is she like a bad person still? like she doesn't really own i don't know it's a character that definitely you know just think a lot about yeah and it's also kind of fucked up because connor like you said um augustina like she thinks of irene as a ghost and the fact that irene like knows that Augustina is close to death. I just like, I don't know how that sat with me. Like, is she doing Augustina a favor by, you know, 
meeting death with a comforting face or is it not actually helpful? I don't know. Yeah, she th- she's there at the end to take care of Augustina. But yeah, I think that she appears with to her being like, all right, I'm going to take care of you from now on. But but yeah, it raises the question, does that make up <laughs> for, for everything? Um, and what are we supposed to take from that character? But... Well, and Augustina had the chance to go to, I guess, Houston, Texas, to be healed, theoretically, and decide to protect the memory of Irene and the legacy and, you know, how the community remembers her instead of, like, taking care of herself to potentially be free of cancer, but instead choosing to protect Irene and die in Spain. Um, That feels, like, kind of fucked up. Yeah. And, like, this, this is, these are not criticisms of the movie. This is, like, an excellent example of, like, really well-written characters and, you know, conflict in how the audience feels about characters. It's, like, really excellent. Yeah, I mean, also talking about, like, although we're trying to watch these women heal together, there's still rifts and points of tension that are probably going to exist for all of all of their lives. Um well, any any other kind of thoughts or things that we had issues with or liked about about Volver? Well, uh, I mean, I'll just say one thing that's always refreshing is, uh, and this is kind of a stark difference between how a lot of U.S. directors, cinematographers, and filmmakers shoot international uh, films in an in- international settings versus you know uh filmmakers native to that area and especially true oftentimes of like uh spain um are also true of like latin america where oftentimes we're, we're treated to this sort of like yellow sepia filter that creates this like visual homogeny to everything so nothing really like pops too much and it creates this sort of just like assumed tone rather than like an actual cultural ex- cultural exploration of like saturation and vibrancy and color and how important and integral that is to pretty much every culture, but specifically in Spain. Um, so seeing, seeing the way that color and, um, and saturation and vibrancy are handled in this movie was really like, uh, startlingly satisfying. It was just like, there's so much that pops about this movie, like the red car against like the sort of like whiter buildings. Um, even, even as we're doing like the tracking uh scrawl across the cemetery in the very beginning that red text just really like burst out of the screen um as well as a lot of the costuming and so on so it's just really nice to see a really colorful movie uh set in spain as opposed to how u.s directors often handle it which is basically just make it look like the movie traffic even though that doesn't make sense (laughs) i'm so i'm so glad you brought up the uh, visual elements of the movie because i i think Almodovar has such uh, a beautiful sense of it, like just um, sense of 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 light and color. Um, and he he loves red. And I was just writing some mm-hmm. notes down, and like the vivid pool of red around Paco's body when he's knifed uh, is represents violence. But then the, he also zooms in on the red of the plump tomatoes and the peppers that Raymunda is cooking to prepare this meal for this crew at this restaurant she's taken over. So it then becomes sort of this color of, of healing and uh, togetherness through cooking and, and Raimunda trying to overcome and figure like, or navigate um, these, this, this violence and, um, and I love every I love everyone's outfit. 
against the either the, the street backdrop or the interior, like the interior set design, I think is so, so great. And yeah, I just, I love what he does um, with color in every, in every shot. Oh, when Raymunda and Irene are sitting on the park bench together um, and the color of the graffiti on the, on the cement wall in the background is just stunning and so beautiful. And um, yeah, I, I'm yeah, I'm glad you brought up the the visual elements as well. And I feel like all of the senses in general are really heightened, which I think adds to the magical realism element, mm-hmm. uh, especially the sound of the wind going through outside of Augustina and Aunt Paula's house. Of like, there is nobody on that street, and the wind just rips through that town. Similar with the cemetery in the beginning, the smells, the sights. I think um, he did a really great job of heightening those senses for the characters and, you know, therefore for the audience to help kind of add to this tone of sometimes camp, sometimes magical realism. So I thought that was really effectively done, you know, enhancing the senses. I love those scenes, the driving scenes with the windmills in the back or the wind turbines, I should say. Right. Which I think is, is a nice contrast kind of to your point Dave where instead of like sort of this like romanticized Spanish backdrop of like old wind you know or something sort of antique and antiquated it's like no this is present day this is these huge wind turbines that are are everywhere where they live um sort of representing modernity and sort of modern infrastructure with this sort of like tale like story or like kind of old story and all multi and generations of, of characters and women. I wonder if that um, was a play off of Don Quixote and the windmill. <laughs> you got some. Um, so well, I wonder if that's just sort of, you know, a contrast to like the fairy tale kind of element too. Yeah. We'll just, we'll just have to get in a room with him and ask. I would <laughs> definitely be someone I would love to sit with and talk, um, talk to. Well, wonderful. Yeah. Any, any kind of last things that come to mind or there was one thing I was going to ask you guys. And that is if you were to return as some sort of apparition or presence from the other side of death, how would you come to your beloved ones in what form in apparition, in tree, in animal, in wind, (laughs) I see. So it's not even just like uh, how you would present yourself necessarily as a physical ghost or something, but how how you would uh, how your life You're... would physically transcend uh, death in the the real world to your relatives. Yeah, we're getting metaphysical. <laughs> I'll just say mine would be in the trunk of a car, <laughs> just like Irene. <laughs> I feel like inside the flames of a fire would be very dramatic, like visions and in, in flames. Ooh, I guess I would just go. Um, you know, given all that, uh, all that sort of like metaphysical freedom and, um, you know, being able to embody, uh, sort of anything throughout the, the earthly world to present to, uh, to my relatives, I think I would still go the old school route and show up like, as like Jacob Marley, like with the chains and like going like for like at least five minutes before I was like, nah, nah, it's just me. Everything's fine. <laughs> I love a, a Jacob Marley, JK. It's just me. Lightning and thunder, banging shutters, and then yeah, yeah. But it's it's all got to still be old school, even though I'm a ghost. Someone has to be there, like with those like big sheets of metal doing the thunder off stage. I like that. I like that you are um, like commandeering labor from somebody in death. That's great. 
<laughs> yeah, the spirit lives on in a very grim way. Um, for me, so my family has sort of um, like a, not a tradition, but like a story passed down that anytime you see a red cardinal, that's someone that has passed on that's like thinking about you or you need to think about. However, um, I personally feel that um, birds are um, disgusting and they work for the bourgeoisie. <laughs> so I would not come back as a cardinal instead. Um, I think that I would probably be feline in nature. Um, I've talked about my cat a bunch of times, but like I seriously feel like she's been cut from my soul and I think that you know that might happen again should I come back to this world as something else mm. Mm. I, I'm never gonna look at cardinals the same I mean yeah I know you hate birds Sam but it's like oh. a begrudging acceptance every time I see one I'm like all right thank you thank you for your presence but bye that's bye. how I feel about family in general so that feels pretty appropriate there you go. Ha- haunted by birds. <laughs> um, well, thanks for that metaphysical journey. Um, <laughs> learned a little bit about everyone and a little bit more about myself. So, well, that's a wrap on Volver. Um, Can I give one final fun fact? Please do. So this is unrelated to the movie, but... In the United States, it is illegal for the IRS or the government to repossess where you're going to be buried because that is yours. So they can take your home, they can take your car, they can take your kids, but they can't take your resting spot. Hmm. Finally a victory. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just quickly add, I guess, that, um, yeah, like I said at the top, I I, I was a little, um, not underwhelmed, but just like a little little confused, I guess, about the movie, but... uh, this conversation has really helped, Christine. You've really put a lot of this into perspective, and I think I appreciate the movie having talked about it a lot more now. Well, if you're... Uh, he's got some really uh, wonderful and odd other gems. Some I would recommend, some I like wouldn't. <laughs> he, he did an uh, airline attendant movie called I'm So Excited. That Actually, I think it was one of his most recent ones. Oh, and I want to see his Tilda Swinton movie. Where it's just Tilda in a room, which might sound a little bit indulgent. I would I would totally agree if anyone saw it and was like, no movie like that should ever be made. But I'm intrigued at least. Um, but uh, yeah, he's definitely got a singular voice and a really fun director to, uh, to watch. Um, well, that's a wrap. Thank you guys so much for that stimulating conversation. Um, and write us an email uh, if you guys have any thoughts uh, or listeners out there, or you guys, Sam, Dave, and Connor, you can write an email as well. <laughs> um, like how you said, any thoughts. If you have any thought ever, just send us an email. It doesn't have to be movie related, just any thought. For that Honestly, desperate. Connor would love it. Just any thoughts. <laughs> Bingo. And uh, yeah, so have a wonderful week, everyone, and uh, be looking out for uh Tori's killer bees. bees killer bees killer bees, killer bees. and uh look out for her articles on cinema 76 now movie john have a wonderful eve folks and see you all next week adios bye